All right, so I'm going to start reading in Romans again, Romans chapter 10, which is um, it's a really good chapter on the gospel. We always like to start out talking about the gospel in this class, and this one has a this this chapter has a a really good definition of what the gospel is, and this is addressed to uh, Israel, but this is is applicable to all of us. Because it, ta- it talks about how that it's not just for Jews or Gentiles. So let's read it, starting in verse 1. It says, <clears throat> this is Paul speaking. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I, testi- for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. That's an that's a interesting verse. So... This really applies to this study in a lot of ways because what we're trying to do is to truly have knowledge about God and who He is and His character. And we see here that there's examples of where people have, um, they believe in God, but they have a, uh, a false knowledge. It's not according to the Bible. Verse 3 says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, that is, their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he's talking about how that the Jews have always done the same thing that every false religion in the world does. And that's what we talk in this class about how there's really only two, two religions in the world. There's the, the true religion, which is ours, which is that of faith. And, and, and it's, it's driven entirely by faith. All the false religions in the world um, have the exact same characteristics, and that's that they're trying to obey their way into salvation. They're trying to be impressive to God. That's what that the Jews were doing, and that's what that every false religion out there does. Verse 5 says, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel. Those are the greatest words that we could ever read. Verse 10 says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So here we see that there's an order. Right? It's not righteousness. It's it's not it's not confession of sins that saves us. That would be a work, right? We have an order here that it talks about in our hearts we believe. Right? That's the work of Christ who saves us. And then we have a response to that because for the first time in our lives we see that God is holy and we see that we have offended him. And so we're awakened. Our spirit is awakened. The Holy Spirit comes in and and dwells us. And then what happens next? We confess our sins. We see our own depravity and we ask God to forgive us of our sins. 
and we see that for the first time that, that this is something that's so important for us to, to understand verse 11 says for the scripture says whoever believes in him that's Jesus will not be disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call on him for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved verse 14 says how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed how will they believe in him who they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things however they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah said Lord who has believed our report so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ so we see here that there's only one way to be saved and that is by hearing the word of Christ hearing the gospel this is talking about the gospel message this is the greatest news in the world and this is the thing that we always want to start out with that we cannot be saved by obeying the law we can't be saved by being impressive to God the only thing that we can do is to believe and have faith in Christ to have faith in God and that is a gift from God he's the one that gives us that faith that's amazing that he loves us so much that he died for us and he saves us and he pulls us out of our wickedness and he gives us this new heart and he saves us this is this is the the message that we want to take with us everywhere we go right this is the message that we want to tell people about this is the thing that we should be excited about right we should be excited because we're saved I mean like Brandon was talking about this this morning he talked about how that the relationships that we build in this life as the bride of Christ they'll last for eternity that should be something exciting and that's because Jesus has saved us he's rescued us and we do have eternal life to look forward to. Um, that's an amazing, amazing gift. And it's, that's the thing that should drive, drive us every day and not, not be weighted down by all the things that's going on in this world. It's so easy, isn't it, to watch the news? I mean, how depressing is it to watch the news these days? <laughs> it's, it's very depressing. Or to get on social media and look at the news and what's going on in the world. Because the world's going haywire, right? Things are going nuts right now, and the people um, that have been on this planet longer um, can see that even more clearly, right? I mean, I can see how much the world has changed just in my lifetime, but people that are even older than me, I mean, wow, I mean, the things that, that you guys have seen in, in, in the way that this world has changed, it's got to just be a distraction, you know, it's, whenever you're trying to to live a life that's honoring to God but we can't let those things enter our minds and weigh us down and keep us from our mission and our mission is to get out here and to proclaim the gospel and to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ and and to not, not let all the the things that this world wants that's what Satan does if he can burden us down and he can get into our minds and get us thinking about other things then he's winning right because he's he's keeping us He's not keeping us from from the the gospel reaching who they're going who God's going to reach but it 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 keeps us from entering into that blessing and being blessed in that mission in the mission that God has sent us to do right it's harming to us mm -hmm. 
because we're called to be those ones that go out and do these things. So that's the gospel, and we always want to start with that. Um, Romans is an excellent book, and this is a really, really good section of scripture just to remind us of what that is. Any questions or any thoughts on the gospel before we jump into our study? We've started going through all the omnis of God. Um, We just hit the omnipotence of God. The omnipotence of God. And I've got a quote here from Arthur Pink. And Arthur Pink is, uh, he's probably one of my favorite theologians. Especially when it comes to the attributes of God. I try to read his book on the attributes of God every year. I try to read it through. It's not very thick. It's a pretty thin book. If you guys are wanting to to have a book on the attributes of God, I highly recommend Arthur Pink. You can't go wrong with his. It's very good. It's very informative. And the chapters are really short. So it's a pretty fast read. You can get through it pretty quickly. Um, I've taken some of his writing and inserted it throughout this study. We've read from him before, but let's read from him again. So Pink says, The supremacy of the true and living God might well be argued from the infinite distance which separates the mightiest creatures from the almighty creator. He is the potter. They are but the clay in his hands to be molded into vessels of honor or to be dashed into pieces as he pleases. We're all the denizens of heaven and all the inhabitants of the earth to combine in revolt against him, it would occasion him no unease and would have less effect upon his eternal and unassailable throne than has the spray of Mediterranean's waves upon the towering rocks of Gibraltar. So purely and powerless is the creature To affect the Most High, Scripture itself tells us that when the Gentile heads unite with apostate Israel to defy Jehovah as his Christ, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And he talks about Psalms 2, 4. So what 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 Arthur Pink here is trying to say is, you know, whenever us as human beings, we, we can easily be swayed, especially by majority. Um, that's the problem with a lot of politicians, isn't it? <laughs> um, is is we can a lot of times when the majority of people are shouting something at you, you're prone to kind of maybe change your stance on something, um, and that's something that the Bible tells us not to do, right? We're supposed to hold to what's what Scripture tells us, even if the whole world is against us, right? And what this is saying is we can see, and and I know that there's been times in our lives that we have been swayed and sometimes in the wrong direction. I know I have. And sometimes it might be by friends or a majority or watching the news when you're ignorant and not knowing that that they may have an agenda. (laughs) So Pink is saying that God has no such sway. It doesn't matter if every person in this whole, on this whole planet all unite with one voice. If, if everybody could agree on one thing and it was against God uh, or what God said, it wouldn't affect God at all because God's perfect, right? Instead, it would show that we are all wrong. <laughs> we are a creature. We are a creation. God created us. How can we stand against God and raise our fist and say, God, you're wrong. (laughs) 
We can't do that. And so that's what he's saying here is God is not going to be swayed. He's not going to be swayed no matter how many people are screaming that he's wrong. And how loud is that voice today? <laughs> the voice is very loud today in the world, and it seems like they're winning. And even some churches are getting drawn in to accepting homosexuality, accepting abortion, accepting these things, and embracing it. Because they're hearing what the majority is saying, and they're being swayed by it. God doesn't. He's not swayed by that. And neither should we. And that's why we always stand firm upon the Word of God. So that's what Arthur Pink is trying to say here, is uh, we're not going to change his mind because he's perfect and his plan is perfect. If God changes his mind, it means his first plan wasn't perfect, right? It was an imperfect plan. And all of a sudden, you are wiser than God. And you, you know, you can change his mind and give him a better plan than what he already had. School. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a good thing for us to start our study off on with Arthur Ping. I've got a question here. It says, what do we mean when we say that God is omnipotent? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. All-powerful. So he has the ultimate power and is able to do anything he wills, but not contradictory to his nature. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good definition. That's an excellent definition. Yeah. He's all-powerful, and he not only possesses all power, but he's the source of all power. Have you ever thought about that? He's the source of all power. So any power that exists, it cannot exist outside of God willing it to exist. Nothing has power within itself, right? We're, that's, that, if you think back to when we were talking about being and becoming, <laughs> God is not a becoming, that he's a being, uh, and we are the becomings. So that's something that we thought about and talked about in this class before, that God is a source. Of, uh, he, he, doesn't get, he doesn't draw anything to make himself um, to be anything. He exists, and everything that exists outside of God is because he's spoken it into existence and given it power to exist and given it the ability to do things, right? And so <clears throat> that's, a, that's an important thing that he is also the very <coughs> source of any power that exists. So if God is the source of all power, whatever power that we have has been given to us by God, right? Any power that we have has been given to us by God. And th this includes authorities. This includes the President of the United States. This includes anybody who's in government. They are not in government unless God put them there. And it talks about that in Romans chapter 13, right? Um, it talks about how that God is the one that puts all authority, all government in place. And sometimes we go, why? <laughs> I don't like that. I don't, li I don't like that decision, God. And one of the things we need to understand is just as God used wicked, wicked uh, leaders in the past um, to punish Israel. We can see that all through the Old Testament, that God gave them wicked rulers whenever they were rebellious against him. And they did that so that they would get to a point to where they would cry out for him, right? That's the point that this nation is in. This nation, the people, the church, should be crying out for God for repentance. We should be crying out and begging God 
to save this country, right? That's what wicked leaders does, is it, it stirs in us that we need help, and we are weak, and we need God, right? Because when we have good leaders, sometimes God starts getting pushed down, right? And we don't think about him as much. We don't cry out to him when everything's running perfect. But when things are not, then we do. So that's something important for us to see. So any power also, if we think about, you know, how uh, that angels, you know, we think of, of how powerful angels are. This applies to angels too. Angels have been given their power by God. And guess who is an angel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Satan. Satan. Satan would have no power had God not given him power. He has no authority. We've talked about how they can't do anything against us unless God allows that. And that's because um, Satan has no power and authority on his own. He doesn't. He's a creature. He's a creation. God can speak him out of existence. God can do whatever he wants to do to Satan. Satan has no authority without God. And so the devil is God's devil. And the reason he said that is because he understood that there's a reason that, that the devil himself even exists. That's one of the things that we always struggle with, is why is there evil? Why does evil exist? You know, God, why did you allow evil in this world? Because it's so tragic. Uh, has anybody ever struggled with that question? I think we all have, right? We all have. How would we know good without evil? That's right. We, we have to have something to compare it to. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what angels, the, those who remained faithful to God, I think that's what they're learning. They're, they're seeing the value, the true value of what their choice was. Yeah, that is that is spot on. That's spot on. It, evil is not good, but it's good that evil exists, right? So, it's, it, yeah, so it exists because if everything was perfect and we had, like you said, nothing to compare to, we wouldn't really know what true love is. We'd, we wouldn't know what justice is. We wouldn't know what all the attributes of God are. So God allows these things. He doesn't cause them, but he allows them. And yeah, we have uh, to have a choice. If there's not two things to choose from, then where would our choice be? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so God allows these things so that we can see his greatness and we can glorify him because of his goodness and because of his attributes and all these things. We would have no clue what these attributes are that we've been studying if evil didn't exist. We wouldn't have anything to compare it to, right? So God uses all things and sometimes we get caught up in it and we go, oh, you know, evil is is evil. But, you know, I always I, I always like to think about, you know, how, how that God sees sees things and uh, I was watching a a video of a preacher one time, and he took he took a, a, this string, and it was this big, big, huge sanctuary. And so he had some people come up front, and he took the string, and he wraps it all the way around the sanctuary. And this is a mass of like 5,000 people, you know, sanctuary. So there's this huge string that goes all the way around the church. And then he takes a he takes a marker, and he goes he takes the string, and he goes. And he put a dot on it, and he goes, you see that dot? He said, that's your life. <laughs> and this is, all of this is, is your future. But your life is just this dot. And that's the way God sees things. He sees not this moment. We're tied up in the moment because we, we don't know what the future, we don't know what's going to happen. 
other than what God's told us is going to happen, right? And so what God's told us is that we have eternal life. And we know that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what evil comes at us, we know that it's all going to be good in the end. And whenever we're at the, whenever we're in that big old long string for a million years, two million, ten million years, we look back on that little dot, is anything that we faced in this life really going to matter in the whole scheme of things? I mean, it really isn't. It's just a blip, right? And so the Bible talks about how we're just a vapor. We're, we're here today and we may be gone tomorrow. But that little vapor, that little dot, and the decisions that we make in that little dot are so vitally important, right? So vitally important. That's why we try to glorify God in everything that we do and everything that we say. Um, <clears throat> so is there any, any thoughts or questions up to this point? Okay. So one of the names, this is on the, the, our first point here, it says one of the names, one of God's names is El Shaddai, which means God Almighty, God Almighty. And if you, we see that word all throughout scripture, the word Almighty. And every time I see that word, I see, I, I like to break it down because I see God's omnipotence in that word, that God has all might, right? All might. We, people, you know, it's funny, you watch, you know, UFC or boxers and stuff, you know, these guys, they think they're, they think they're mighty, you know, they think nobody can touch them, they have so much pride and and part of that comes along with, with what they've chosen as a career, you know. They try to intimidate people and all that. But where do they get their might from? Where does that stem from? And is it fleeting from that? And so that's one of the things that I always look at is, you know, God has all might, every ounce of it. And any might that a person has has been given to them by God himself. They can't boast in themselves all they could do is boast that God has created them strong for a moment, right? Or God is giving them the ability to fight for a moment, but that's going to flee from them, right? The older they get. And so <clears throat> that never happens to God because God has all might. He has all power. He's, he's, omnis he's omnipotent. And so it's amazing to see how, um, how the pride comes <laughs> into us sometimes and we think we're something. You know, especially men, you know, guys are, are really bad about that. <laughs> um, so um, <clears throat> the next point says, because God possesses all power, he never needs to rest or recharge. And that's, that's really comforting that God doesn't take a nap. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> that would be really bad. Scripture says that, that Jesus actually holds all things together. You ever thought about that? He holds all things together. If he ever took a nap, that means everything would cease to exist. Right? Everything would just it would be gone. Um, and so it's, it's, it's refreshing to know that. And then it comes up, you know, you say, well, what about the seventh day? God created for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. What does that show us? What does it show us that God rested on the seventh day? Any thoughts? For one thing, he was done. He was done? It, it was good. It was what he wanted, and it was, he was done. Yeah. 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 Any other thoughts? 
he completed the physical part and then came spiritual the work spiritual work within his creation yep. and of course for us it's, it was the example for us not to spend all of our effort and time in the in things of the world that we do need that time of, of uh, spending with God yeah keep our priorities yeah 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 absolutely I think there's a number of reasons and that's a big one you know is is uh, you know, we've talked about anthropomorphic language, how that God communicates things to us through certain things. We know that God doesn't need to rest, but is communicating something to us in that. And that's, A, we need to rest, we need to take time, and God has command, commanded that whenever in the Old Testament with the Sabbath day, right? Um, but that spills over in, even into our daily lives. We need to rest. There's time that we need to rest. We need to have a day off. Um, because if we don't, then we really start breaking down. We can't go on and on and on like God does. <laughs> and so God's showing us these things. It's important to have a, a day of rest. He's also showing us that the number seven is perfect, right? And that's what's really cool because we start seeing that number seven, especially when we get to the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. We start seeing that book, that, that number seven all through, and, um, and we know that, that, the, that seven is God's perfect number. And what that, what that number shows is completion. So whenever, you know, we look at the book of Revelation and it says that there's seven churches, you know, that, that Christ addressed, that means a complete picture to, you know, it's showing us that this is addressed to every church that's ever going to exist, right? It's, it's showing that this is a complete letter. It's, it's the number seven represents completion, right? So there's, there's a lot of things that, that, that tie into this that we could talk about, but it, you know, it's important for us to understand that when God says that he rested on the seventh day, it's not because he was tired, right? Instead, he was trying to show us things. He's trying to give us some examples. So, um, The next point says God has infinite, unlimited power. So let's, let's have some people read some of these. Who wants to read uh, Psalm 33, 6? Okay, go ahead, Nikki. By the word of the Lord, the heavens remain, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Who wants to read Jeremiah 32, 17? Go ahead. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for God. Matthew 19, 26. Who's got that one? Go ahead, Sean. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible. <laughs> this is so important. This really begins to, what it does is it's, it starts to give us comfort in the God that we serve. Right? I mean, to know that God is, he, He's a person that possesses all power and strength. And we don't have to worry that that he's going to run out. We don't have to worry that he, he's weak in some area. But he's strong in every area, and he's strong to make sure that what his will is for each one of our lives is going to take place. And he's going to hold us firm in his grasp all of our lives. We don't have to, to ever worry that God's going to drop us, <laughs> right? He holds us firm. And so that's very comforting to us that He's promised us that he's going to hold us. He's promised us 
that he's saved us. He's promised us eternal life. He's given us hope. He's given us promise. He's given us joy. I mean, how many people had joy before you were a Christian? True joy. <laughs> All these things are amazing, and we know that God, he, he holds us perfectly in his hand and it brings us all these things that's why we talk about how the the christian religion is the only religion that has true hope and true peace and true joy because you can't if you think you know other religions you know like you, you was talking about a few weeks ago in mormonism how that you never really have assurance there's always this i don't know if i've done enough i i don't know if god's pleased with me maybe i need to do more so you, you never have joy, you never have rest, you never have peace, you never have true hope. And that's the way that all these religions are. And that's the way that the world is. Atheists who step back and say, oh, I don't believe in God, you know? They're terrified. They're terrified if you ever sit down and talk to them. They really are. They're scared to death to die. <clears throat> I work with a guy, and he talks about death more than anybody I know because he's scared to death to die. He really is. He's terrified of it. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. But we have true hope and joy and peace because God holds us and he's got the power to do that. Um, any thoughts before we jump into dualism? You know, one thing that always impressed me is the one talking about God spoke things into existence. Because to me, that, I mean, that just <coughs> says it all. I mean, there's no effort on his part, and yet you look at how complicated the universe is, and yet he just spoke it. Yeah. So he's in control, he knows what he's doing, nothing is too big for him. And I mean, that, that should, I mean, it does me, it brings a lot of you know, assurance that, what are my problems? I mean, he could take care of it all. <laughs> I mean, I, mine is just minor. <laughs> So, I mean, there's a great assurance. In fact, he starts the Bible out like that. Yeah. You know, I'm the God that you can trust. Yep. I've got it all under control. I can do everything. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's so so comforting. To kind of tie into what you're talking about, the seventh day and all that as well, the book of Hebrews talks about entering into his rest. Yeah. And the difference between um, striving under the Mosaic law and then entering into the rest that God's provided with the ultimate sacrifice of his son. And um, it says in chapter 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. And he was talking about those who didn't believe, who were disobedient in their disbelief. Uh, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You're right. I mean, and that, that, that is so so comforting when you read that, because it, it really does show how that we can rest in God and rest in these things. How, how comforting is rest sometimes? We all know what it's like to just push ourselves so hard and be wore out and drained and tired. 
but just to be able to rest, you know, it's so comforting. And how can you rest? You know, that's that's the question. If you don't believe in God or or you're in a false religion, how can you truly rest? And I mean, truly rest to where you know that everything's okay. You know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. You know, there's no way to to do that outside of the gospel, outside of Jesus Christ, outside of God and God's sovereignty and God's perfect strength, right? His power, that he possesses all power. It's so comforting. Um, So the next point here says we should combat what is known as dualism. Does anybody know what dualism is? Everybody heard of dualism? So there's different ways, there's there's different views of dualism, by the way. There's a a philosophical system of dualism. There's different um, applications of dualism. But I'm talking specifically uh, dualism as it applies to theology. So there is a theological dualism. And um, so does anybody know what that, that's talking about? Uh, f- philosophical dualism is talking about the uh, separation of the body and the spirit. Don't get confused when, it, when we're talking about a theological dualism. That's what we're talking about here. Anybody ever heard of this term, dualism? Know what it's talking about? Kind of like good and evil. Yeah. Combating one another in their equal or nearly equal forces. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yep, yep. The yin and the yang. That's what happens in my mind all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's Romans chapter 7. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I've got a, I think I've brought this up before, probably several weeks ago. On this next point, it says a good example of dualism is found and a popular old Christian song called The Champion. This song depicts Jesus and Satan in a boxing match. I don't know if you guys have ever heard The Champion. It was by uh, a guy named Carmen. I'm sure that some of you, pe- people my age have, you know, it, people, people my age have, because he was big like in um, the late 80s, early 90s. He was really big. And so he was probably the biggest Christian artist back then. He was, he was huge. But this was his most popular song. Uh, was the champion, and it, 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 the whole thing was Jesus and Satan in a boxing match. That would never happen. <laughs> Not even close. It's interesting when when you when you read the book of Revelation, and when Jesus comes back, just the word of his mouth, he just speaks the word, and Satan's cast into hell. Right. There was no effort whatsoever from Jesus yeah. Christ. He didn't have to get into a boxing ring and start fighting it out with you. That's not going to happen. So uh, this is a, a good example, this, this song called the, the Champion by Carmen. So, and in, in that song, Satan actually knocks Jesus out too, by the way. Knocks him down. And he's like, and everybody's worried because he's down, you know. Of course, he's spo- it's supposed to be depicting that he went, that he died, you know. And that's that's where that Carmen is going with it. But um, and then he raised from the dead. But it wasn't because Satan killed him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's dualism. And the yin and the yang is another. I've got that in the next point. Dualism assumes that there are two equally powerful entities. One good and one evil, the yin and yang, is another example of dualism. And we see 
the yin and the yang all over the place, even in America, right? Um, it's the symbol of karate. A lot of karate places have the emblem, you know, the yin and the yang. So there's a lot of <coughs> a lot of that up there, and that all comes uh, from pagan religion. Uh, and so there's there is no yin and yang. There's no there's no bad that balances out good, right? And good that balances out bad. And we see that in Hollywood too. I mean, I mean, how many movies, you know, depict that? That you have to have bad guys. You have to have the villain, and, and everybody kind of works together, and everything kind of works itself out, right? At the end. Yeah, they're bad, but they're fighting for a good cause, even though they're bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so true. It justifies their badness. That's true. I kind of picture too when we talk about this is, is there's Satan, you know, trying to fight God, and he's just got his hand on Satan's forehead and just standing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> time now. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point, Steve. We we keep bringing up chihuahuas in this class. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, so. Uh, the question here says, is it up to us to choose which side to be on? Do we decide to get behind Satan or behind God? That's what the yin and the yang says, basically. So... We do have to make a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, we're, we're born on the wrong side because we're born into iniquity and, yeah. our, you know, we're damaged from the fall. So we do have to choose God, but Jesus said we can't do that unless the Spirit empowers us to. That's right, and that's that. That boils down to back going back to this omnipotence. Is if God possesses all power, and any power that we have has been given to us, then any choice that we make has been given to us by God. Right? He's the one that's empowered us to do these things. Right? He's the one that gives us the strength, gives us the power, gives us knowledge gives us the gospel changes our hearts he's the one that does all that work and so he's the one that does it all and then we do make a choice that's based on what God has done in our in our in our lives right because he's the one that has all that power because we don't have any power on our own we possess no power you know just you know so that's something that's important for us to to know and to understand on that point so yeah because he didn't intervene he didn't work on us, if he just left us to our own devices, we'd all be lost. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> it right. It would difference if he's standing in front of us, right. showing good, if he's not intervening in our hearts, it just, it wouldn't have any meaning to us. Yep. Yep. <coughs> the next point says, God's power is immutable or unchangeable. And so let's, I've got some verses here for some more people to read talking about how that God's power is immutable or unchangeable. Who wants to read Isaiah 40, 15? Okay. Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Yeah. 
again, that goes back to the, the fact that we can never um, change God's mind, even if we collectively come together. If you could ever come up with one topic that the whole world agreed on, <laughs> that, is, that within itself is an impossibility. <laughs> There's not one topic that any of us can agree on, the, the whole world, right? Um, but if we could, uh, we're just a drop from a bucket, according to, to the way that God sees us when it comes to our plans versus his plans, right? Job 42, 2. Who wants to read that one? Okay. For the Lord of hosts has planned... Oh, sorry, the wrong one. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours. Yeah, that's exactly right. Isaiah 14, 27. Steve? For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it, and as, and as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Who can turn it back? Isaiah 43, 13. Blake? Uh, oh, do you have a book? Yeah, I don't have a book. I told Blake I was going to call on him tonight. I act and who can reverse it? Who has the power to overthrow God's decisions? Exactly. Next point says God's power is inexhaustible. Isaiah 40:28. Jacob? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, has not become weary or tired. His understanding is un unscrutable. Mm -hmm. Unscrutable. That is so refreshing. No, that's right. Yeah, that is so that is so comforting for us to know that God doesn't get weary or tired. Right? That, that 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 brings the to mind you know the where it talks about the um the, the kind of obnoxious person knocking on the door of the king mm -hmm. in the middle of the night but god you know this that that's showing us just for us to be persistent in our prayers right mm -hmm. god hears our prayers sometimes it takes longer for him to answer our prayers than what we like and what God's wanting to show us is to not give up. And that's especially true when it comes to us praying for people that are lost. We all have people that we pray for that's lost. Mm -hmm. We all have people that we pray that God will touch their hearts and change them, change their lives, mm -hmm. and we would love to see them sitting, sitting here in church. We all have people like that. And so we are to persist in praying for things and God doesn't get weary of that. He has a perfect plan, but he doesn't want us to give up because it's his will for us to keep on pressing on and keep on being faithful, not ever give up on God. God doesn't always answer our prayers, but we shouldn't, shouldn't give up. We need to keep pressing on, keep, keep on going, and a lot of the times God does answer our prayers, and that's amazing. He's answered so many of my prayers, Nikki's prayers, and I know that he's answered all of you guys' prayers. I know he has. So that's um, that's so comforting for us. Yeah, I don't think he meant to say he doesn't. 
is an answer a prayer. Sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Oh, what did I say? Always answers. Did I say something? Did he I say said that he, there's sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers, something like that. And he you always he, answers our prayers. He, you said he always answers. Oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes he does not answer our prayers. <laughs> yeah, he always does. He yeah, we're saying he does oh. answer our prayers. It might not be yes. Oh, I got you. Uh, yeah. The answer might be no or not yes. <laughs> to give an example, I right. pray about my maple tree that is dead. He says, God, you can bring a person back to life. You can bring my maple tree back. <laughs> I mean, it was just really in my heart. The other thing I... I been praying about is reimbursement for my husband's funeral service and but I just gave it all to him well the other day that was actually last Sunday is the desire for my maple tree stopped the money for the funeral showed up in my account mm -hmm. and it was like God says this I'm answering the maple tree I the answer is no <laughs> but you know I mean that was such a lesson and I wanted I wanted that kind of a lesson I wanted to see that yeah so it was a no, but I was content with that. I, you know, it wasn't a necessity. The other was. <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. I I I, I agree with you guys. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, yeah, it's it's um it's very reassuring. So God, He never has to recharge or refuel. That's one of the things that we that we have to do as human beings. Um, he doesn't have to rest in order to gain more strength like we do. The next point says, whatever God has called you to do, He will give you power to complete. That's something that's that's very comforting too, because sometimes, you know, God has given us all things to do. We're all part of the body of Christ, so we've all been given different gifts, and sometimes God calls people into mi to, to missions, you know, to go overseas. There's so there's so many things that God calls people to do. Being a pastor, being a teacher, uh, whatever it is, there's so many things. Uh, some, s some things are visible and some things are invisible. Some things are behind the scenes, but God's called us all to do things and to do them for Him and for His glory. And sometimes we think we don't have the energy or the power or the strength to do it. Sometimes we think God's asking too much. Has anybody ever felt like that? Think God, think God's asking too much? <laughs> if God's truly called us to do something, He's going to give us the strength to do it, to see it through. Always. He's always going to do it. Sometimes it's part of, of building faith. He gives us too much for us to do in our own strength or personality or intelligence or whatever. Yeah. And it's like so. I still want you to do it and all in power to do it. Yeah. So we look at it, it's, it wasn't me, but it was God. Right. We give the credit where it belongs, yeah. like most. That's right. Yep. You know. That's right. And sometimes it may not be God calling us to do things too. <laughs> Sometimes uh, we get overwhelmed by people asking us to do things. And we have to be able to discern that. Is, is it God calling me to do this? Or are uh, people just wanting me to do things? Because I'm, you know, what is it that they say only 20% of the people do 100% of the work in the church? And once you start being looked at as a person that can be depended on, then sometimes elders and pastors, they start they may give you more than you than you can do, more than you can handle. And that's understandable. 
because they need workers. That's why we all need to be involved in doing things, right? Um, but we can get overwhelmed if we're taking on too many things that God hasn't called us to do, right? So it's, it's important for us to be able to discern that. Phil, uh, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So in what way does this verse apply to us? This is one of those verses that's getting taken out of context a lot, isn't it? <laughs> I was listening to a sermon this week by J.D. Greer, and he said that's the most abused sermon verse out of the whole Bible. He said all the all the verses not to like, he said that's that's my number one because it just gets abused all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that and judge not, lest right. you be judged. Right. Both of those are, are twisted out of context all the time. Yep. In context, Paul's talking about his ability to endure suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, the applications can be broader, but we can do whatever God wants us to do. That's right. Whatever he asks us to do. That's right. Not just because we decide we're going to walk a tightrope across the Grand Canyon or something. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it, it's not, this isn't a, a word of faith verse. Right, or that a name and claim it. It's not a name and claim it verse. That um, I can. I really want a Lamborghini. You know, I think I can. I, cl- I claim that. I claim that before 2023. I'm going to claim a Lamborghini. You know, that's not what this is talking about. Right? That's not what it's talking about. So it's important to to, to like you said to get the context of these things. Over on page 68, God's power is incomprehensible. <coughs> Ephesians 3.20. Who wants to read Ephesians 3.20? Right. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Can you? Th- I mean, this is something that's amazing, it, that he can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think (laughs) he can do more than we can even comprehend that he can do more than we can think about we don't have the capability to understand God's power we really don't that's one of the things that's that's amazing I mean I'm also reminded of of how the that eye is not seen or people heard you know talking about heaven that there's it's never entered into the heart of man the things that are in store for those who love Christ. And so that's, God is so powerful and he can do so much that is so beyond, and I can imagine some pretty cool stuff. (laughs) I mean, I think all of us can imagine some pretty cool stuff. And God's saying, it hasn't even entered into your heart what waits for you. You 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 don't have the ability to comprehend how good that it's going to be. I mean, it's this is amazing, you know, that that God, um, His power really is incomprehensible. It, we're we're just um, we're just human beings, and we've been given an imagination and a thought process to a limited degree by God. But God has no limitations, right? He has no restrictions. So, and He wants to share all of that He is with us because He loves us. That's awesome. We're content with what we see in this world and for some people I've talked to it kind of scares them to think that we won't have those things that we won't have you know night and day we won't have seasons 
that's frightening. Even though God has promised us these wonderful things, yet they, they really can't figure out how it could be any better than what we got. <laughs> I know. I know. It's got to be just like this. <laughs> but better. Just clean air. You know, yeah. clean water. But it's got to be like this. Don't that, don't that break your heart? I mean, it breaks my heart to think, you know, that so many people are, are grasping at all that life can give them in the moment. And that's all, that's as far as they see, is, you know, if I can just get that house, if I can just get that money, that bank account, and just grasping, like, this is it, you know? This is all I can imagine. This is all I can see. This is, if I can just get all these things, and then is, it, is anything ever enough? Do they ever find satisfaction? In those things, they could pass away. It could be lost in a moment. Yeah. Like you know, we see this with fires, with natural disasters, floods, yeah. whatever. Tornadoes. All, all the celebrities that buy beautiful homes up in Mountain Village or whatever, and we go, oh, that'd be like heaven on earth. And mm -hmm. you know, five years later, they're selling it at yeah. a loss or whatever, and because they're tired of it and it didn't do what they thought it would. That's right. And, you know, it didn't bring them joy. That's right. That's right. So the question says, should we be frightened by a God like this? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say both. I'll say, say yes and yes. <laughs> yes and yes. Yeah. Um, all through Scripture, we know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, right? So the fear of God is something that is, it's it's all through the Bible, but we're, it's not that we're, Christians fear God in a different way than the lost do, right? It's more right? respect, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's more a, of, of an awe, right? Yeah. It's like you see Isaiah, whenever he stands before God. And anytime you see people in, in the Bible, they fall before their face because God is so holy that Isaiah feels like he's literally being ripped apart. That's what he says when he uses those words. You know, what was, he talks about how I'm undone, is what he says. And if you look at the Hebrew and what that the words mean in Hebrew, it's, you know, we've talked about this before, but it just, it's so vivid in my mind that, you know, it's like grabbing the end of a thread and pulling it and then your shirt's unraveling. And that's what, that's what Isaiah says he feels like, being in the presence of God. He's afraid because he's a creature in the presence of, a, of an all-powerful, almighty, all-holy God. And he's overwhelmed. And he just falls on his face and he just repents. And he, he feels all this, like, Wow, I'm I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he's just he's thinking of his own depravity and how that he deserves hell. And I think all these things are entering into his mind. He fears God, but at the same time, you know, God says, you know, I need somebody to go preach my word. And what does he do? He stands up and he says. Let me do it. I'll do it. You know, so he has this. He's empowered by um, by this fear because he knows who God is. So that's what it is. It's it, it is. I think it's more than just a re respect. I think it's more than just a reverence. 
I think it's kind of like Peter and the apostles when they were in the boat and all of a sudden and, and the waves were coming and they they were afraid and then all of a sudden Jesus says peace be still and the the ocean goes or the the, the sea goes shoop like glass and they go now I'm really afraid right now I'm now now I'm petrified it's because I am a creature and I am standing in the presence of somebody who spoke the earth and all of the universe into existence he's right here in the boat with me I mean can you imagine being I mean you would be you would be afraid just like they were afraid so there's that that there's that aspect of it and I don't even know how to explain it so so when I think of that because like it says in scriptures true love casts out all fear so I think of coming before God the fear would be not of God it would be fearfulness of what is God going to see that I haven't done how I failed him how I've disappointed him it's just to me I think of like a, a, a child who has good parents and you know they haven't done something and so they're kind of they're really concerned they're fearful of their parent coming home and finding out they didn't do what they were supposed to yeah but but they love them they're not afraid of them that they're going to get beaten it's right the, it's the fear of disappointing their parents of, of not you know pleasing them yeah that's yeah. Kind of what i what i see I, in the old testament i could see because they they didn't have the indwelling of the holy spirit there's but for the church, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. Well, Hebrews talks about um, the Lord chastens every son that he loves. Yeah. So it's not a fear of salvation, but there is discipline, discipline. Yeah. In, yeah. in this life. And so yeah. there's a, call it respect, call it, yeah. Yeah. Fear, you know, there's like, God is omnipotent and he knows he's also omniscient. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it kind of, serves to keep you on the straight and narrow yeah yeah it's not a fear like god's fixing to bash you over the head right it's not that it's a fear of who he is it's a it's a wow that's god you know it's that that reaction that's what i'm talking about that's why i say i can't explain it it's not something that you can really i it's not something that i have the vocabulary to explain this kind of fear and that's why i say it's deeper than just a respect or a reverence i think it's something else uh, something I can't put words to, but we can see it whenever we see people in Scripture, and they're not afraid that God's going to destroy them, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're afraid because they realize who they are in the presence of an all-powerful and perfectly holy God, you know. And so whenever they're there, and you're thinking, "Wow, I'm in the presence of a God that is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous," we, we can't even comp- comprehend that. We've never been in front of a being or a person physically and physically seen somebody who was perfect and all-powerful and omnipresent and omniscient and all these omnis that we've been talking about and just to be in the presence of God like Isaiah and we're all going to be there one day. Sort of like that awe. Awe is how I would think of it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like you say, it, it's not something we can comprehend. When we finally meet God, right. it's just like, what do you, you know, we're going to be tongue-tied. What do we say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to react. <laughs> I love you, but still. 
<laughs> I mean, you're God. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's right. That's right. Well, we're out of time. I really thought this is such a short little chapter. And I thought, man, I'm going to run out of things to talk about in this chapter, and we're we didn't even get to finish it. So um, we don't have much left. We just have a little bit, a few quotes that we'll we'll jump into and read a little bit more scripture. But we will finish this up next week and jump into the questions. But it's going to be short, and then we'll jump into the immutability of God. And that'll be a lot of fun. So is there any other last thoughts or comments or questions? Appreciations of God? It's all about Him, right? It's all about God. For some reason, I'm, I'm reminded of... You guys ever listen to Paul Washer? You ever listen to him? I really like Paul Washer. He's... He's one of those guys that um, he, he makes he makes me want to crawl under this table and hide <laughs> because he um, he talks a lot about about the glory of God and who God is and who we are. He he's got the big God small man mentality, but he he got um, he had a heart attack and uh, I was listening to him talk to him preach to some people one time and he said something that. It just blew my mind. I've never heard anybody say this, um, but it was it was so ap- applicable. Uh, he he was talking about how that he was laying in the hospital after his heart attack, and he was praying. And the way that he prayed was was probably different than the way that I would pray, but it certainly um, seriously impacted my my prayer life. And he said that he was praying to God, and he said. God, if if it glorifies you to heal me, then please heal me. And he said, and God, if it glorifies you for me to die, then God, please kill me. And just just having that that mindset that no matter how we what what happens that in this life, that our prayer should be to glorify God and to magnify Him, even. Even because we know we can we can throughout we can see throughout church history how that some of some of the saints that were martyred uh, had some of the biggest impact on the church. Their death glorified God, and that's one of the things that, that Paul Washer could see in his mind. And it just shocked me when he prayed that. You know, it just shocked me. But it it really has changed the way that I see things and the way that my prayers have been impacted by that. That's just something that popped into my head thinking about that um, and how amazing it is that one day we will stand before God in His presence. Um, And Paul Washer didn't fear death. It wasn't death that he feared, for sure. He just wanted to glorify God. Well, all right. Steve, would you pray for us?